Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. RJ, I mean, is it still going over there? Like, can you hear it from your apartment still, the beer hall? Probably. I, I would not be surprised if the celebration was still going because it was absolutely rocking last night at the beer hall. I got to be there for the game. It was great. When the Kraken won and I was getting ready for post game, I could hear all the noise from the beer hall blocked down from my apartment here. Everyone was going nuts. Yeah, I gosh, I'm very jealous. Wish I could have been up there um, for it. So obviously gigantic podcast, everybody. Lots of stuff to get to. We'll get to, you know, we'll save the Dallas Stars deep dive for, for round two preview. That's going to be, um, you know, the, the last thing we do before that. We're going to you know look back at this historic first playoff series for the Seattle Kraken. But first, I think we got to start with game seven. But even before that, RJ... <laughs> That's how this works. One, want to wish everybody a happy May. It's the best month of the year because it's the month I was born in. So got to get that one out there. And two, um, if you're just listening to this version or if you are watching on YouTube, I'm going to shove so many of Jen's pictures into this one because this is just such a historic podcast. So just know if you if you go check out the YouTube version or you're already watching on the YouTube version, uh, there's just going to be a ton of pictures. I'm going to try to keep keep all the playoff pictures together as we talk about the Avs series and then I'll get all the um, picks from the Dallas games when we talk about Dallas but I think I'll probably throw in a bunch more uh, just like some of my favorites throughout the rest of the podcast here um, really excited about that and want to want to get those in there and want to let everybody know for once instead of just silently putting in pictures like let's actually let people know and, and they can watch and see if they want uh, so now with all that out of the way RJ last night I mean, it was, it was, it, I think in some ways it was the hardest post game to do because I was just at a loss for words. The Seattle Kraken winning their first ever playoff series. It was their first ever playoff series in a game seven moment. His, you know, fantastic performances from Gru, just all that stuff. I mean, it was, I, I still, I'm just having trouble coming to like words with it all. It, it takes some time to sink in, I think. And right after the game, I, I, don't know that we were ready to believe that it was real quite yet. At least that was my feeling as we were heading into post game. And yes, you're in a celebratory mood and, and all of that, but uh, it just, it didn't quite feel real. The Kraken had knocked off the defending Stanley cup champions as well as they had played at times all series. I mean, I think we kind of gotten it through to our heads that the Kraken could hang with the avalanche. That was not in doubt, but the fact that they actually got it done, it, it felt like we just needed to see it to believe it. Yeah, we did. I uh, just want to say thanks to everybody who was there for the post-game live chat. Uh, you know, thanks obviously for all the super chats, all that kind of stuff, but also for just like not let not you know having us just sit there like, whoa, they did it. <laughs> like like for, <laughs> for giving us comments that we could then dive into and and give some analysis and all that good stuff. Uh, so thanks everybody for being there. That was a ton of fun. Definitely one of the the more fun ones that we've ever done. Um, let's talk about Game Seven though, RJ. The conversation has to start with Philip Grubauer. I mean, just one of the all-time great playoff goaltending performances in that Game 7 there. Dude was just a, a wall. Nothing was going to get past him last night. Right, and especially in the first period, and that's where he came up the most clutch. The Kraken did not start the game very well. I mean, they had 
good maybe two or three minutes and then for the rest of the period we're getting absolutely caved in the entire time uh, but Philip Grubauer stood tall and he played the way that he's played a lot of this series uh, and just that little bit extra too. the Avs got a lot of good scoring chances just couldn't find a way to get one past that last line of defense and I think it was kind of demoralizing for them going into the second period uh, Grubauer just got them to the intermission where they could make adjustments, where they could reset and where they could get back on, on their toes instead of being on their heels all first period. Yeah. In the series in which we were able to frustrate the Colorado avalanche a plenty, uh, many, many times we could see it. We, we got Nathan McKinnon so riled up that we were able to go down and Ty Cartier was able to get his first NHL goal and his first NHL you know game there in the playoffs. Like, they were they were so frustrated throughout so much of the series, but I felt like no more than last night just because of Philip Grubauer, just not letting anything by him. Uh, you know, everything had kind of collapsed for the crack in there. It, it it just had that feeling of like inevitability that the that the Avalanche were going to score, uh, and Philip Grubauer was able to fight through basically the universe seemingly dictating that that had to happen. Uh, I mean, it was just an epic performance. I'm on money puck for the first time looking at stuff from last night's game, RJ. It's criminal that he only has a 1.43 goals saved above expected. It's criminal. It felt like a lot more than that, didn't it? It absolutely felt like more. That's ridiculous. It should be at least five. That's the way it felt. But, you know, you got to multiply it by by some sort of uh, higher number, RJ, just because it's a game seven, right? That's how that's how analytics work, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You got to take that all into account. That's how the GMs look at it, for sure. That's how my analytic model works anyway. Yeah. Uh, you multiply it by seven because it's game seven. That's just it makes sense. Just come fight me about it. Um but yeah, I mean, Philip Grubauer, just incredible performance. The lateral movement, I mean, Henrik Lundqvist, if you were watching the TNT broadcast, had a great breakdown of kind of Philip Grubauer's goaltending stance, kind of how he's conservative. He keeps his hands tucked in, the way he stands up and, and uses his eyes and that higher sight line um, to stay square to the puck and all of that. Like, it was a very interesting breakdown. I know some people have posted it to Twitter. I do recommend people give that a watch. Um, but Philip Grubauer, he used all of his goaltending tools last night. I like the I like the lateral quickness, RJ, on some of those big saves, especially that blocker one on Evan Rodriguez. That one's going to live, you know, yeah, as a highlight forever for the rest of this postseason. That's going to be one of the biggest moments of the playoffs uh, for any of them. But also when he did decide to challenge RJ, when he knew he needed to challenge shooters, that JT Confer one in the third period where he just comes out like what three, four feet out of the crease mm -hmm. and makes that save and the smack sound that you hear when that puck hits his pads and then doesn't move. Just no rebound whatsoever. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, and he was so calm in judging that those where to come out, where not to come out. Um I I, I love those chances. There's the the one um the the comfort one which one was who had the one where it bounced off the boards off that icing set play do you remember who that was uh that's a good question or that yeah everything's i don't blur. remember who the shooter was i'm looking back at the video and, and their number isn't clear but that might have been my favorite save of the game probably not the biggest but in that moment with the the kraken just up one you're defending a lead it's often icing the mm -hmm. the avalanche run kind of a set play from their own zone just basically icing the puck but they know that their player is going to get there first because they, you know, he just takes off right off the face off. And I love the calmness from Philip Grubauer because he's really deep in his net on his post because he doesn't need to come out quite yet. And he's looking at the play. He looks into the corner, judges the puck, waits until it hits the end boards to see exactly how it's going to ricochet off. Once it does, he takes a look over at the player to see exactly where the player is. 
and then comes out of his net and gets so aggressive and just from I'm what I'm looking at the video uh, about a second, literally one second of time. He goes from being having his toes on the goal line to maybe two feet out of the goal crease ready to challenge. I mean, that's just so calm doing everything exactly right. I think calm is the big word. And it's it's fascinating, too, because, you know, you had put out all the Kraken's game seven numbers. Uh, yesterday, like all of their previous records in the NHL postseason and how they've all performed in game sevens. And you know what? It, it sure was a sign of things to come as they had a combined 16 and five record, which is pretty darn impressive. Um, but Philip Grubauer was one of those guys that didn't have a win in a game seven. And you could tell that last night he really, really wanted one. He was so dialed in. You mentioned how calm he was. I mean, this was peak Grubauer just analyzing the game playing the odds, knowing where he needs to be, doing all that stuff that we always talk about with him and his style of goaltending. It was all on, you know, display 100% perfect. And then the moment the buzzer goes, it's just, you know, elation. And he's jumping up and down and he looks like, you know, uh, just a kid who just pulled a golden ticket out of a chocolate bar. Like he was so happy that the interview he did on TNT, you post the let's go with the big, you know, Grubauer's smile that he has uh, posted that on Twitter. I mean, it was so crazy. And so I'm just so happy for him. I'm so happy for people like Medeiros who believed in him this whole time. Ron Francis signed him to the contract and everything because the bottom line was he's, he's taken a lot of flack these last two seasons uh, with the Seattle Kraken. I mean, year one was year one. I think even he would say that that wasn't great from him, right? Like there was, it wasn't that good of a season. Uh, but this year to fight through the injury, to fight through Martin Jones kind of taking over that number one job, uh, just all of it. I was just so happy for him. And you can just tell what a huge moment that was for him to defeat his former team in a game seven like that. It was everything. Yeah, and to flip the narrative, not just with Seattle in the rough first season, but you look at Colorado, his former team, mm -hmm. they gave up on him. Yep. I mean, they let him go. He was their goalie, you know, for a playoff run. They were kind of pushing. They were knocking at that cup contention door. I, I think Grubauer probably had a number that he felt he was worth. The Avs, uh, I think, probably had a much lower number that they felt he was worth. Um, and they went cheap in net. And you know what? It worked out for him. They won a Stanley Cup. And it was the very next season. That's got to sting for Philip mm -hmm. Grubauer. And, and you know that's got to stick in his mind. And you want to go out there and, and prove your worth. And in front of your former team, show that, hey, maybe you shouldn't have just let me go and, and given up on me that easily. So um, I think that's huge for him, not just with the Kraken narrative, but uh, with Colorado too. Doing it in that building, you, you could see it in his reaction. Nobody was happier to win that game than Philip Grubauer. That is for sure. Another player stepped up, though, RJ. Uh, this was a 2-1 victory for the Seattle Kraken, and one player had both of those goals for the Seattle Kraken, that being Oliver Bjorkstrand. Just how we drew it up, right? We all knew. Game 7 hero, Bjorkstrand, right? I mean, hey, he has been, as Allison Lucan said, you know, Oliver Bjorkstrand is the moment. He has scored some big goals in his NHL career. But if you've been watching the series up to this point, you'd think maybe that wouldn't be the case. Uh, these were his first two goals of the entire series. Uh, but that's kind of the way it's gone for the Kraken scoring-wise. He was the 15th unique goal scorer for them. Everybody stepped up in their moments. And as you mentioned last night, uh, it's kind of a, this microcosm of what his whole season has been, right? 
Absolutely. I, I tweeted that he's been the human embodiment of perseverance. And that's really, for me, what this season is for him. I know he got to 20 goals on the season. That's, you know, a nice, healthy number, all that kind of stuff. But given the expectations that we had, that I think he probably had coming over in the offseason, uh, when Ron Francis was able to trade for him, what a steal of a trade, too. Like, just, you know, I know the Tolvanen thing kind of overshadowed it. But again, we got him for, like, nothing just because of the Columbus situation. Um, but to have him come over, score opening night, and then not score again for a long time, like a long time and and have that shooting percentage be down below 2% at one point with like a decent amount of sample size. You know, this wasn't it wasn't just like, oh, he, he had that after three games. No, it was it was like that for a long time. I'm looking at it. I believe he was second on the team in shots behind only Jared McCann, um, but was able to get up to the 20 goals because he just stuck with it all year long. I mean, this is a guy that was one of the more, most consistent guys on this team at, as far as generating offensive chances. We know that once Tolvanen came over and that Yanni Gord, Bjorkstrand, Tolvanen line was able to be put together, that that was the Kraken line. And we'll definitely talk about them when we analyze this series, RJ. But Oliver Bjorkstrand, big, finished every shift out there, always trying to work the cycle, always trying to bring the puck inside, doing all the things that you're supposed to do. And, you know, he was rewarded at times, but far too infrequently for the amount of work he was putting in, in my opinion. Um, but here we go. I mean, this was he, he basically he th that game was like the rest of his season for him. Uh, finished the season with a 10 percent shooting percentage, RJ, which is low for him. But it, he got it up to respectable finishes the first round with a 10 percent shooting percentage after picking up those two <laughs> goals on his 20 shots in the series. Uh, I mean, it's just it was exactly it was exact. This series was exactly his season. Um, but the bottom line was he saved it for the biggest moment possible. Yeah, and just like his season, he probably could have had a couple more too oh at gosh. the end there. So many chances to get that insurance goal and put it away. Hitting posts, uh, you post know, Georgiev coming way out of the net. I mean, there's he did a lot. It, it just felt like he was going to be generating offense all night, no matter what. If there was another period to that game, I, I'm sure he'd have he'd complete the hat trick. And then that moment where Georgiev had come out to challenge but misread it, and then Bjorkstrand's fighting with the puck while the net is essentially empty. Oh, RJ, it was it was wild. It was just, it wasn't, Universe wasn't going to let it happen, but still, uh, it was a fantastic day for uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Really happy about that. Um, the other big moment that's always going to stick with me from this Game 7, though, RJ, was that challenge to take that Nathan McKinnon game-tying goal off the board. And again, talk about things that have been, you know, stories throughout the course of this year. The video coaches for the Kraken coming up big again in a game seven where you need everybody to step up. Well, the organization stepped up, right? The the investment they've made in the video coaching and everything, it came through for them. It did. Tim Ohashi and Brady Morgan have been money for this team all season. They know what they're doing. And, and in a case like this, too, where... Uh, you got to admit, it was pretty clear offside. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. as close as some of the other calls, um, but the confidence to to radio that in right away. And Dave Haxtell mentioned that after the game that uh, by the time that puck went in, he already knew it was offside and he knew the goal wasn't going to count because they had expressed to him how confident they were that it was offside too, which that's the thing you also have to do is express a level of confidence in the call you're going to make because the coach doesn't just want to know, okay, well, was that offside? Was that not like, how sure are you? And you have to be confident in whatever you say. You're like, ah, oh, we're like 
fifty percent sure, whatever. But they were able to to come in and just be like, yeah, we're hundred percent sure this is offside. Go ahead, challenge that. And so there was never a doubt on the bench. It also helps the coach just kind of keep everyone's emotions in check too. Yeah. Be like, look, guys, we didn't we didn't just give up the tying goal. Hang on here, forget it, get out of your minds. This one's coming back. Yeah, and you know, then Grubauer, like you said, he knew it all along. Yeah, you know. For sure. <laughs> he did say that after the game. Yes, he said, I knew it was offside before they took the shot. So maybe he knew that it would just be demoralizing for that to come off the board. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. He was just toying with uh, Nathan He was McKinney. just Dominic Hoshiking, you know, on the offside, you know, just same thing. Yep, definitely. Um, but this is this is something because we talk a lot about, you know, different aspects of the Kraken organization as a culture and, and the stuff that they've done as far as like prospect development and the ability to call up guys like Ty Cartier and have that, you know, make a big impact for them. And and one of the other things that I think we've we've touched on at different points, but maybe haven't talked about enough is the fact that they do kind of have like a and almost a, it feels like a spare no expense culture when it comes to analytics or things like the video um, coaches and the video room that they've put together there at Climate Pledge Arena. That's something that I remember Tim Ohashi talking about at the um, at the Seahawk conference, talking about setting up that room, talking with you know different video coaches from around the NHL, but also the fact that the Kraken were really giving him all of the resources he was going to need to put together the best room possible for them and that coaching staff. And and that's a moment that really stuck with me from that conference. And then seeing that that play out, I know it wasn't at Climate Pledge Arena or anything, but still, it really stuck with me. And I think that that's something that we do need to mention for the Seattle Kraken organization is that they understand how important that stuff can be. And that it's not going to be an every game difference maker type thing. But when you have it and in these big moments, it's worth everything. You know what I mean? And, and I love that about this organization. It's worth seven times as much, according to your analytics there, because it's in That's a game right. seven. That's right. And then you go back to talking about Climate Pledge Arena. They took one off the board last game in game yep. six. That was worth six times as much. I mean, yes. that's pretty cool. <laughs> but right, the Kraken do spare no expense with that kind of stuff. And 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 why should you, right? I mean, that's there's no salary cap for right. that, for video coaches, for any it's it's just the players that have the salary cap. If you can put more money into things like that that'll help you win, uh, why wouldn't you do it? I know there are plenty of organizations that don't for one reason or another, but that's just never been a problem with the Kraken uh, hesitating to put money where it needs to go. Yeah, and I, I just absolutely love that. I think if you were a sports fan before following the Kraken, uh, whether it was in Seattle or anywhere else, you've probably run into having, you know, rooting for a team that maybe doesn't always do that. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, for me personally, come to mind. Uh, and, and so when you see an organization that has that attitude that's willing to back it up with its wallet, um, it's it's a really special thing. And, and I just want to say, Kraken fans, you know, know that you are lucky and that's a really good thing and know and, you know, feel good about supporting an organization that's willing to do that kind of stuff because uh, not every fan base is as lucky to have it. Um, I, there's there's lots of stuff to talk about with the rest of this. I mean, keeping with the coaching, RJ, uh, just want to talk about the coaching staff a little bit for this one, especially Jay Leach. want to give him a shout out. Uh, got got tons of Tons of camera work at the end there as the Kraken were trying to defend that one goal lead late. Uh, really got a good look at his whiteboard, what he was trying to draw up there. I think maybe next time we'll see him more like Bednar holding that down below the boards a little bit and let the players lean over and look at it. Um, but still did a fantastic job coaching those guys. You can see how engaged they are listening to him. That's a big deal that the players buy in. They trust the coach. They want to learn that. They want to go out there and they, they want to perform and execute the game plan. Uh, and they really got it done. So I just wanted to give that a big shout out 
Oh, he deserves a shout out for sure. And I think even in general, when we get into takeaways from the series at large, we'll talk about the penalty kill. We will yes. absolutely talk about that. Jay Leach is in charge of the penalty kill. So that tells you a lot of what you need to know. And I think even back to last season, when things were not going well, multiple Kraken defensemen uh, that season called Jay Leach the best defense coach they've ever had. Mm -hmm. I, and these were guys that had been around in the league for a little while, too. I think that speaks volumes. I mean, you look at the Boston Bruins, who, I, yes, yesterday wasn't their finest day, but they were still, you know, the best regular season team ever. They ended up hiring uh, Jim Montgomery as their head coach, but they interviewed Jay Leach. Like, that's yeah. a smart organization, the Bruins. They know what they're doing. There's a reason they're competitive year in, year out. And they were looking at him as a potential head coaching option. So I do worry about, you know, maybe <laughs> this offseason if he goes somewhere else i think if i was other teams I'd, I'd look into that but uh for now let's just uh be lucky that he's on staff oh for sure definitely definitely and yeah oh man we are going to talk about that later the the pk and, and the job that he did with them in this series because it is very very important to talk about um the the other big thing for me and then i'll let you kind of come in here with some stuff from game seven that you want to talk about rj was maddie Beniers. I felt like that was, you know, the biggest game of the series for Matty Beniers and the effort level that he was able to put out there. I mean, he was generating a ton of chances, a lot of shots for him, a lot of scoring opportunities, but also just the way he was going in there, trying to win board battles, trying to steal the puck below the goal line. Um, he really, really showed up. And, and yes, there was times where he was trying to make something happen and maybe didn't have like the best ways of going about it. But that's just the inexperience of being a 20 year old rookie. And the bottom line is he's now been in a game seven. He had a really good showing. Yeah. He wasn't rewarded with a goal or anything, but he'll get there. Uh, but I just think it's really, really important as he's establishing himself as, you know, the kind of the star player for the Seattle Kraken that he also established himself as a big game player last night. And, and yeah, he's, he's maybe not a hundred percent there, but what I saw from him last night tells me that you put him back into that situation. Now that he's got a game seven under his belt, he's going to do just fine. Right. And now that's a good segue, actually, because the thing I wanted to talk about uh, was the shift from the Matty Beniers line. And one of the moments in the game that's really going to stick with me where we talked about the first period where the Kraken were just on the ropes, completely on the ropes. Grubauer gets them out of that period. Mm -hmm. And you need to turn something around because the Kraken were in this cycle of just defend, clear, defend, clear. Yep. You know, they were at the end of a shift, just got to clear that puck out somehow, change it up. But by that time, the abs get another free zone entry and they're right back to attacking and it just this cycle that you have to break somehow and they started out that way in the second period where they were just attacking crack and were just struggling to get clears and then the maddie veneers line comes on and this was so important they were able to gather the puck take it through the neutral zone bring it into the offensive zone with possession and it, they didn't get any huge grade a chances they got like a decent shot but they got a whistle they got yeah. an offensive zone face off and they kind of broke that ab cycle there. And then what I think not even two, three minutes later, Oliver Bjorkstrand throws a puck on net and it goes in off a couple abs defenders. And all of a sudden you've got a one nothing hockey game and a game where you probably deserve to be down two or three goals. And it doesn't happen without that shift from the Maddie Beneers line. Uh, so I wanted to highlight that and show that even just a small shift like that that doesn't generate any huge chances uh, can really turn the tide and turn the momentum of the game. It absolutely can. And again, the fact that it's coming from that line, it's coming from, you know, a veteran player in a Jordan Everly, it's coming from the young guy in Matty Beneers. I just think it speaks to the culture of that locker room. 
of, of what those guys want to do. It speaks to them as individuals too. their ability to kind of, you know, summon that from within themselves to get out there and, 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 you know, put a stop to what the abs are doing. Uh, it's, it's all super impressive stuff. And yeah, I think we learned a lot about a lot of people on this team last night, really everybody. And it was all positive. Um, from that game seven. And that's something that, you know, no matter what happens in the next round, I'm going to really take with me uh, away from this whole playoffs experience. It's just that the Kraken are a team that they don't back down. And yeah, when somebody needs to step up and do something, somebody will. And that's an, that's awesome. It's so awesome to have that feeling. Yeah. RJ. <laughs> yeah. Everybody steps up when the time comes that, that they're needed. And I think that uh, takes me to the last thing that I wanted to talk about with this game was the shot blocks. Yeah. And it was really a theme all series, but everybody was laying down the body in this game to block a shot when, when need be even, you know, Ty Karche on his 22nd yep. birthday, uh, had this great shot block uh, where he kind of dove out in front of it, um, to get out to the point really fast. And, and just everybody was doing that. And, um, that, that just speaks volumes about what this team can do. And I like this, um, excuse me. I like this comment from, um, let's see if I can find it. From from Kepler, you know, one of our uh, our patrons here, Kepler, um, and this came in kind of late last night, but I loved how he phrased it. This is culture right here. Twenty two year old playing in his third NHL game is putting his body on the line because he's seen every single one of his teammates do the same thing, and he knows that's what's expected of him too. The effort speaks volumes. This team is incredible. I mean, no notes like that's <laughs> yeah, you know, that's team culture. That's everybody buying in, and that's the kind of culture you can create where somebody can just fit into that. No problem. Yeah, no, it's, it's a big deal. It's, I mean, everything that they were doing in front of Grubauer, I know we talked about Grubauer and everything, but the way that they put their body on the line, you think about, you know, in previous games too, right? Maddie with the big one, Jaden Schwartz with that one that really took a lot out of him, but, but he went there and he made that save. Um, it is, it is just a culture thing. The bottom line is we've, we've talked about it already in this podcast. We've talked about it at various other points. Um, whether it's on post game or in different podcasts, but the culture around this this group of guys is really really special. It's really really different. We talked about them not having a captain. You mentioned last night. Do they even need one? Right after watching this series, after watching that game seven, they don't because the bottom line is everybody is a hundred and ten percent bought in, and they all believe in each other. They're all out there for each other. They want to win for each other as much as they want to win for themselves. And I think that that game seven really proved that. Like if, if, if you were somebody out there who doubted that at all, just watch that game seven again. You, and you, you, there's, it's impossible to walk away thinking that. Um, and that's a, that's a big one. Uh, just to kind of close it out, Will Borgen, big game for him. Uh, you know, talk about all the little things there. I know you're going to talk to talk about him in the series, uh, kind of review, but I wanted to, to shout him out. And then also my, one of the big takeaways that's going to stick with me for whatever reason, RJ is Miko Rantanen yelling with the linesman over face-offs over and over and over. I don't know why, but I just wanted <laughs> to throw that in there because I don't think I've ever seen that before. RJ, just a player and a linesman get into it face-off after face-off after face-off. <laughs> I know it, it is rare. And I, I mean, my memory goes back to Logan Couture was pretty upset about Sidney Crosby's antics in the 2016 cup final. That's the only other time I can remember, you know, kind of such constantly, but it shows how frustrated the abs were like that kind of stuff. Doesn't really get under your skin. If you have a series under control. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. Um, All right, RJ, as we, as we look back on the series as a whole, I mean, we knew this team was a road team all season long. That's the way they've been. They've been road warriors, things at climate pledge arena, a little more so, so, 
uh, and and they got it done on the road. Of course, winning that game seven, they were better on the road than than at home during this series. So I almost don't feel like the totally the need to talk about that much more than you know. Bottom line is with this team and the depth that they have, and the fact that Dave Haxtell is going to roll those top three lines for him, kind of all about the same. He's just going to throw them out there whenever. He's not going to worry about line matchups. Just how big a deal it is that that kind of took away a lot of. You know, especially a team like Colorado that has one specific line that they're going to need to rely on. It just took away that advantage in of those games in Colorado of trying to line match if if you're Jared Bednar. Yeah, and I think it was kind of a factor for the Kraken all season. Uh, line matching doesn't happen as much during the regular season as it does in the playoffs. Uh, but I think you saw it as a factor. The Kraken can just throw anybody over the boards, and there's not a whole lot you can do to just neutralize one line. Um, and, and we saw it in this matchup. This was the ultimate stars versus depth matchup. I mean, we talked yeah. about it going in. I don't think we even understood just how extreme it was going to be. No, Because the Avs did not have a goal from their bottom six all series. Every single goal, I, I think if I try and pull up this tweet from Peter Baugh, because this is amazing, like every single goal they scored was either scored or assisted by, I believe it was McKinnon, Ronton, and Makar or, or Taves. Like that that tells you that how, uh, you know, kind of shallow of a team they are. And, and the Kraken's depth won out. And, and with Colorado's depth being what it was, where you can't even generate a single goal from the bottom six, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, right? No, I mean, it's this was it's kind of crazy because, you know, you you wanted the abs. I was a little bit more hesitant about taking on the abs and I was worried about their star players and their ability to just take over games and just, you know, beat you, especially in a round one before everyone's all beat up, all that kind of stuff. And in some ways, I guess I was right about that. Like their star players did show up in a big way. They were dangerous, um, but I didn't realize just how, I guess, poor the rest of this roster was. Because it was mm-hmm. bad. It was really bad. Talk about the, the Kraken having 15 different goal scorers in this one. The The Colorado Avalanche only had 12 different point scorers in this one. Wow. I need to tweet that after this is over, <laughs> like, by that's, the way. That's pretty cool. That's, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. And yeah, you know, Miko Rantanen, great job. Seven goals in seven games. That's very impressive. Seriously, I'm not trying to like sound any other way about it. That's ridiculously impressive. What Nathan McKinnon was able to do. I mean, we all, every time he hopped over the boards, we were holding our breath, right? Because of, of how solid Nathan McKinnon was in this one. But the bottom line is, yeah, their bottom six was non-existent. And it put them in a spot where they couldn't really even play them. So they were going to have to rely on their top six. And then even guys in their top six didn't really show up. JT Comfort last night was trending on Twitter because of all the Avs fans basically being like, this is the guy that we chose to be like our second line center. Like this guy just cost himself $10 million this postseason. Just everybody being like, where'd this guy go? And and you know what? To be honest, I, I totally get it because I didn't really notice him throughout this series either. He was somebody that we were both going to pick as the X factor for the abs. And he just didn't show right. up at all. Right. I mean, I guess that's part of, you know, with the X factor, if he doesn't show up, <laughs> yes. this is what happens. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that Nazem Kadri, he is not. Uh, and they're yeah. going to probably need to find some solution to to beef up their center depth this offseason with whatever money they might have because uh, it was just a problem in this series. It really was. I mean, the, the rest of it, they just, you know, the, the second line guys kind of showed up all right. Evan Rodriguez, he looked pretty good through through most of the series. He was able to get some stuff going. Their blue line is, is you know, fairly deep, and, and we saw that throughout the series. Uh, Georgiev, 
I thought he had an okay series. It wasn't great. He obviously didn't steal the series or anything, but it was respectable. He made big saves to keep them in games. Um, but I just think the bottom line is the Seattle Kraken with their ability to roll those lines and just come after you over and over and over. You know, Nathan McKinnon wasn't able to play the entire game. Kale McCarr just can't play the entire game. And so for the Seattle Kraken to have that depth, to have those guys to go out there, to have that next man up mentality or on any given night, this guy can show up for you. Uh, it was just, it was way too much. And it does have me thinking, and I know this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, just like how far can that carry you in a postseason? You know, like I'm really wondering. Right. And there's just kind of a limited sample size for something like this because teams just generally aren't built like this. There, There's an inertia that we've talked about where at the certain point, Top guys are going to have to get paid, and we're going to see this take place over the next few years for the Kraken. Matty Beneers is going to get his high-end money. Uh, Vince Dunn is going to get paid this offseason. Like, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that, that goes against a team being built like this, and you really only have this narrow window from the expansion draft process. It's really only like one or two years long where you can build a team like this. We saw this with the Vegas Golden Knights in their first year. Teams just weren't built like that. Uh, and it's hard to say how far they can go. The limited examples that we have of Vegas in that first season, they went pretty far. I'm not saying that's what the Kraken can do here, but uh, if they keep playing like this, I, I just don't know that teams will be able to counter that easily. No, and you know we talk about the depth scoring and everything, and a big part of that is also the fact that they got scoring from the blue line. Four defensemen picking up goals in this series. Uh, Justin Schultz, Will Borgen, Jamie Alexiak, and Vince Dunn. Um, I know you want to talk about some of these guys on the blue line, RJ. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of hand it off to you. I know one of them especially is Will Borgen that you want to talk about. Yes. So I've been waiting for this moment. I want to talk about Will Borgen. I, I mentioned him as a possible X Factor going into the series. Uh, and he, I had some pretty high expectations. I, I'd say he matched or exceeded them. Uh because and I, I know the stats don't really jump off the page at you. He had a big goal in that in in um, I forget which game it was, but he had the big goal. Uh, <laughs> all the the games yeah. not game seven blend together a little bit, but he had the big goal. Um, and I think he was solid enough defensively. I mean that D pair with Jamie Alexiak, who you kind of picked as your X factor. I think the two of them together were great, and they stepped into the role that they needed to play. I don't think you'd argue with that at all. Um, but what really impressed me with Will Borgen is what I was expecting from him where he's built for playoff style hockey he is physical he is right there on that line uh you know between kind of physical and violent where he's going to rough up opposing players you know not in a way that that's out and out gonna injure them and and you know take them out we're not talking Makar hit we're not talking Everly hit but just those little things in the corners and behind the play he's got that wrestling background where he can take guys down um if for those of you who saw on Twitter my my picture of uh, Miko Ronson and like what happens when you get into it with Will Borgen I mean that's kind of what he's capable of doing to someone in a scrum um but I also noticed, look, a lot of Colorado fans were, you know, fairly upset over the, the Makar hit response and the Everly hit and all of that. And so they were sending us videos left and right uh, of things that, you know, kind of dirty things behind the play the Kraken were doing. And Will Borgen was in a lot of those videos. And it was little things like uh, I think he ended up breaking his own stick over Kale McCarr's shoulder one time, just kind of giving him a cross check in front of the net. Um, unfortunately, he ended up, uh, you know, kind of cross checking um Darren Helm in the head where Helm was kind of falling down. If you look at it, it was at, you know, stomach to chest level. He was just kind of trying to extend through the body, uh, but Helm had fell, fallen down. It was an unfortunate play. Um, 
but lots of little things. Will Borgen, I mean, talk to talk to Colorado fans. He was one of their most hated players in that series. And that's kind of what you want out of your defenseman to be someone that's really tough to play against. I bet you the Avs had a bunch of bumps and bruises, you know, all over their forwards uh, that were caused by Will Borgen that didn't hold him out of games, but they added up over the course of seven games. They really do. And that's one of the things that impressed me about this blue line as a whole, RJ, was we had talked about when just talking about playoff hockey in general, not even just doing the deep dive into what this series could be, but when we were kind of doing the playoff primer, especially for new fans, what to expect. Um, one of the things we had talked about was, you know, with forward groups, they got to go in, they got to finish their checks on these defensemen. These defensemen are going to play a lot of minutes. It's important to to get the body on them, try to wear them down um, so that you can try to take advantage of them later on in a series. And, you know, in some ways this is highlighting what the Avs didn't do, but I think it's also important to highlight that the, the Kraken D looked ready for that and they were ready for anything coming at them. And instead of taking it, and then making their play, they just said, no, I'm just going to hit you instead. And so I think it's really impressive that as I'm looking at their hits uh, versus hits taken numbers for this blue line, RJ, substantially more hits given out by the Kraken blue line than the hits that they've received. And I think it shows, you know, kind of where the mindset was for this blue line in this one, which was they were going to be physical. They were going to keep sight lines open for Philip Grubauer. I think that's a big reason why he had the success he did in this series. We can talk about him next, maybe. Um, but, you know, when you look at a guy like a Jamie Alexiak, 26 hits, only five taken. Like, that's impressive to only take five hits through seven games like that. It just shows the Avalanche weren't doing very good, but it was also the smart play by the Kraken D. They were focused on moving the puck. They were focused on being physical themselves and not putting themselves in danger. Adam Larson, 33 hits, only nine taken. Like, these are big discrepancies that you do look at and you say, okay, in a series that went seven games, that matters. The fact that you were dishing out more punishment than you were taking. And that tells you situationally, too, when the Avs dump a puck into the corner and go and try and chase it, here's what happens most of the time. And yeah. there's a reason. Their forwards go in probably looking to avoid contact. Because if you initiate contact and you turn that into a physical battle, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to have to deal with a Wilborg, and you're going to have to deal with an Alexiak or, or an Adam Larson. Uh, it, it's not pleasant. And I think it's something Colorado's forwards largely wanted to avoid. And, and that also makes you speed up too when you do have the puck in that corner. You want to get rid of it really fast so you don't have a, a check coming in at you. Um, and it just it does affect the way that you play. It absolutely does. Yeah, Jamie Alexia, a couple takeaways this series, 20 blocked shots. But I think the thing that impressed me the most with him was him using his physicality to just move bodies net front just make sure Grubauer wasn't going to have screens five on five all that stuff uh, that really impressed me Adam Larson with his stick work Justin Schultz I felt like certainly through the first four or five games of this series might have been the Kraken's MVP like really seriously like he had an incredible postseason RJ Justin Schultz veteran guy he's been there he's done that uh, but he stepped up big for the Kraken especially after you know let's be real he, he kind of had a down second half of the season ever since that boarding uh, that he took in that Florida game a while back. Um, but this is, you know, like I said, it's a veteran who's been there in the postseason, knows what it takes, and boy, did he step up in this one. Yeah, it's funny how those veteran players who have been in those situations can kind of step up when the time calls for it. And that was exactly what happened with Justin Schultz, where, yeah, since taking that boarding call, he didn't look like himself. But all of a sudden, once this series started, he looked like the Justin Schultz from the start of this season, where he was up there among the Kraken scoring leaders yeah. <laughs> early on in the regular season. And that's the game that we saw from him. And, and that's huge stepping up in those moments where 
it's early for a team together in a playoff series. Everyone's still kind of trying to get their bearings is um, you win the first game, but you lose the next two and you need people to continue to stand up uh, in those times. And I mean, Schultz, he's a big game player. I posted the game seven stats from everybody. He's three and zero in career. Sorry. Now four and zero in career game sevens. That's not easy to do. No, it's not at all. And uh, he's a fantastic player there. Um, I know you want to talk about, um, Carson Soucy, I believe, as well. I just want to real quick mention, I realized I was only looking at five on five for all those numbers that I was spouting out, like the hits and the hits taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just made it all strengths, stays the same. Jamie Alexak goes to 28 hits, six taken. Like still, in the seven-game series, it's ridiculous. 27 block shots for Jamie Alexiak. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, the, the block shots around the whole team. And um, one more thing I, I just remembered talking about the net front battles too, and keeping the sight lines for Philip Grubauer clear. Um, you can play uh, forwards differently in front of the net as far as clearing them out. And mm-hmm. I thought Vince Dunn, I, I, I wish I had gotten like the transcription of it, but Vince Dunn gave this really great detailed answer uh, before the playoffs started of all the different ways that you can play differently in front of the net and the different ways you can try and get a forward out of there uh, that you cannot do in the regular season that you know are reliably going to be called, but you know in the playoffs will not be called. And he liked it. He was a fan of it. He's like, this is great. I can do a whole lot more things. I've got a lot more in my toolbox to clear guys out. And I think you saw the defensemen take advantage of that. Oh, they really, really did. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about Vince Dunn? Because like we've we've talked a lot of positives about this blue line, (laughs) but I do think that Vince Dunn was somebody that, you know, given the incredible season that he had going into this one, we had really high expectations for. And I, you know, I guess the pleasant way of saying it would be he didn't live up to them. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that's accurate. And and look, the Kraken won this series. We're obviously still kind of in in celebration mode, but I I think we wouldn't, we'd be doing a disservice to everyone if we just kind of raved about all the positives of the series. And look, it was a seven game series. You you lost three of those games and a lot of them were very close. It's not all going to be positive. And, And I do think one of the negatives in this series largely was Vince Dunn. I mean, he just did not look like that clear number one defenseman that it seemed like he was emerging as this regular season, whether that was um, turnovers in his own zone, uh, even when not under very much pressure, especially early in the series, uh, whether that was a lack of scoring output. I mean, what, how many did he finish with? Only one goal. That's um, it. Yeah. Just, just the one goal in the series, uh, no assists, which is kind of weird to think. I would not have, Imagine that going into the series, Um, but finishing with just the lone point kind of wasn't bringing it that well on either end of the ice. And, um, you know, I I think it'll it's fair to wonder how he's going to fare against Dallas. Like, is he is that going to continue? Is he going to step it up? I think the Kraken are going to need more from him if they're going to beat the Stars. I agree with that. And, you know, he's got it in him. We've seen that throughout the course of this year. And there was some some positive aspects that he did bring to the team. Um, He drew three penalties, which was by far and away the most of anybody on this blue line. Uh, I think that's very useful. Um, That's a big deal. He did have a couple takeaways. I thought that, you know, he did okay defensively. Uh, But the big thing for me was just, you know, not contributing offensively. Uh, this was a close series. The Kraken, you know, yes, they had the depth. Yes, they have 15 goal scorers, all that kind of stuff. But guy like Vince Dunn, especially after what you were able to do as a five-on-five team this year, a lot of that came with the help of the blue line, and it came with the help of Vince Dunn. And not having him be that kind of factor for you, there was plenty of times where, you know, especially even in that game seven, RJ, where it was like, look, if the Kraken could just keep the abs in their own zone, you could stop a lot of the things that are hurting you from happening. And Vince Dunn, 
he had a couple bad pinches in this one. I thought he did you know just an okay job of holding the blue line in the offensive zone. There was a couple that, you know, I felt like he missed and let get out to the neutral zone and kind of stalled what the Kraken were trying to do that he probably shouldn't have. And um I just, you know, I'm really hopeful that he can kind of turn things around because it's one of those things that, yes, this is a contract year for him. We were just talking about like, wow, this guy's going to get like all the monies. You know what I mean? This is going to be the, mm-hmm. the, the defenseman that the Kraken are going to commit to and really build their blue line around for the next several years as they become a true Stanley Cup contender. Um, and there was enough rough stuff in this one that it really has me questioning that and wondering about it. Uh, not bad enough that I'm ri- writing him off, but enough that I am wanting to hit the pause button a little bit, if you know what I mean. Right, and, and it does make me a little bit concerned about what that next contract is going to look like. I-, I wonder how much of an effect this will have on it, um, but uh, he's still got a lot of bargaining power there. The defenseman market, it's really tough to find a defenseman who can do what he did in the regular season, even if he kind of has a weak playoff. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's it's that contract year stuff that always scares me. Yeah, uh, let's talk. Let's finish up on the forwards, RJ, and then we'll do Grubauer last because I want to transition into the Dallas stuff with Grubauer. Um, go ahead, take your take your victory lap with uh, with the uh, Yanni Gord line and what they were able to do in this series because I think everybody uh, had to take notice of what they were doing. They did. Uh, they were a, a weapon in this series and something that I didn't even see coming. Something that Colorado had to adjust to. I thought they were going to be the counter to Colorado's stars and they were going to kind of match them and just keep them off the board and neutralize them. But I think at times in this series, Jared Bednar had to make adjustments to, to counter the Yanni Gord line. They were that good. Um, and that's the matchup that I was looking for. That's what I was hoping that Gord line would bring. And they absolutely brought it. Yanni Gord leading that line, I think first and foremost, um, not just with everything he was able to do defensively, but, Hey, he's the leading point scorer on the team through one round too. He really did it all in this series. And that's just, just so impressive. And I think you saw at the end of game seven too, I'm sure you've watched the celebration videos back, but Philip Grubauer's jumping for joy. Everybody's hugging each other. Everyone's going nuts. Yanni Gord is just on a knee exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like, that tells you that he just emptied the tank. And and for a guy that's got a motor like he does, that's got stamina like he does, that everyone's celebrating around him and he just can't even get up off that knee to celebrate because he gave it all that he had. Um, just what a signature series from Yanni Gordon. He's had some great series in the past with Tampa, um, but none where he was really kind of the leading player there. He had uh, He was kind of part of that supporting cast with a lot of stars in Tampa, but this one... I don't know. It might be his most impressive playoff series. I'll say that it is of his career. Yeah, it was, it was very impressive. And, you know, you look at what role he kind of took on in Tampa um, on his way to winning, you know, Stanley cup there and everything. Uh, And it was, you know, his ability to help shut down the, the big guys that Tampa Bay was playing against provide room for the Tampa stars to go out there and do what they can do offensively. And that's what he did in this one too. Uh, we talked about what a big factor Nathan McKinnon was and those top guys for the abs. Yanni Gord was able to go out there against them and flip the script. It wasn't just, oh, he kind of shut them down and kept them from doing what they wanted to do. It was, no, he actively made them play defense. 
And that's the best way to handle that situation. You know what I mean? Especially when you have um, guys on, you know, on your wings, like an Oliver Bjorkstrand, who's going to be able to generate offense out of that. Just by being in the offensive zone, you're going to make him a dangerous player. Uh, and Ellie Tolvanen, who's going to feed off of that energy and, and totally help you out with that, throwing his body around, making big plays and making hits and blocking shots and all that good stuff. Uh, Yanni Gord was really a leader, not just for that line, but for that whole team with what he was able to do. And given the match, that that line faced for them to walk out of there i'm looking at expected goals rj for all these lines expected goals percentage 49.5 for that yanni gord line but given how much they were matched up against a line that was producing like crazy that's wicked impressive it's so impressive what they were able to do um yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's not enough good stuff. I mean, we knew what Yanni Gord was coming into this. We, you know, this was the Yanni Gord that we wanted when they were going to take him from Tampa in the expansion draft. We, it was just a, how long is it going to take the Kraken to get to the postseason for them to be able to capitalize on this Yanni Gord? Right. Uh, and, and I'm very, very happy that it only took him two years and that Yanni Gord was able to, to show all the Seattle Kraken fans just what he's made of. Yeah, and the confidence from that line going into the series, too. I, I keep thinking back to what Ellie Tolvanen was saying. I got to chat with him about that potential matchup once it was clear they were going to play Colorado. And uh, you said, you know, we're, we're not necessarily thinking about who we're going to be matched up against because we don't know. But if it is that, I feel like our line does really well when we kind of spend a lot of time in the offensive zone and just frustrate an opponent. And I think he mentioned frustrate an opponent. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if we can just do that to that line, I think we could get him really frustrated and that could be good for us in the series. And he, he just seems so confident when he was saying that he kind of had a smile on his face too. And that's what ended up happening yeah. for, for stretches of that series. Um, and just great to see that confidence turn into, you know, the real life effect. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, looking at the other lines, I mean, the Wenberg Geeky Schwartz line, I still don't think it's enough credit that that line was incredible throughout this one, whether it was generating offense when they weren't matched up against McKinnon or helping slow down the McKinnon line when they were matched up against him. Uh, Jaden Schwartz, I think, is is like the hidden gem of this series. Just everything that he was able to do uh, in this series was so impressive. I, you know, I, I could sit here for an hour probably breaking down everything that he did. But the bottom line was he was putting his body on the line. He was blocking shots. He was making sure that they could get the puck out of the defensive zone and through the neutral zone. Um, he was hitting guys. He, he literally did everything uh, that was asked of him or that he could do in this series. Uh, and, and it was just really, really impressive. Morgan Geeky, we saw how much he meant with the one-game absence that he had from that line versus the the six other games when he was there so really really like that line and then just real quick got to give credit to Ty Cartier stepping up joining that Matty Beniers line after Jared McCann goes down that's a rough spot to to come into for your first NHL action uh but he made the best of it and that line RJ expected goals percentage 73.7 in the 22.8 minutes they were out there together it's a great line I noticed that when researching for this. I mean, that's very high uh, when they're out there together. And it kind of fits the eye test of, of what I saw. I mean, just the dynamic of Cartier bringing a little bit more of that power forward presence. I think you talked about it uh, last night about what that was letting uh, Eberly and Beneers go do just kind of get more involved there, trying to dig out pucks and, and be more aggressive on the forecheck. And Ty Cartier to get thrown into that situation. Um, but there was no, you know, there was no hint of pressure if you talk to him about it or um, if you saw how he played. I mean, he proved that he belonged. Like, in short, he belonged. 
in, on that stage. And so going forward, however long he's in the lineup, like I have no worries about him and, and Haxtell giving him whatever ice time he feels is, he's comfortable with. Absolutely. I feel really good about that. And like, I can't wait to have the off season conversations of, you know, have we found the first, like that guy for Maddie Beneers? You know what I mean? Does that, mm -hmm. that winger that they're going to play together for a very long time. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun uh, as well to talk about upcoming. Uh, and then last, but certainly not least RJ talking about the Seattle Kraken, Philip Grubauer. We talked about him a lot for game seven, but really throughout all of this series, Philip Grubauer was the guy this is he was the Kraken's MVP in my mind for this series. Nine twenty six save percentage, uh, trying to pull up the goals saved uh, above average numbers. For I've got him. it here. Yeah, go for uh, it. Uh, Two point nine goals saved above expected. That ranks fourth among NHL goalies this playoff. So uh, behind Igor Shosturkin, Jake Ottinger, and Ilya Sorokin. So he's in pretty good company there uh, with, with some guys definitely in the in the Vesna conversation. So I, look, Philip Grubauer's play in this series, he belongs on that list with those mm -hmm. guys. He was in the upper echelon of playoff goaltending uh, so far through one round. And, and I think I mean, that's all you could expect from Philip Grubauer. Like you cannot ask for more than what he brought. And that's why I was so confident going into this series. And I'm not going to take a huge victory lap here, but you know, in that little one minute clip that I shared, we were talking about potential opponents. The number one thing I just wanted a series where I felt like Philip Grubauer could play well. Mm -hmm. And, and that I felt confident that he would match up against that team well, and just provide some solid goaltending because if he couldn't do that, nothing else mattered. Really. I felt like in any series, and he stepped up and exceeded those expectations. I thought we'd just get kind of like league average goaltending and hopefully that would be enough. Uh, but no, he stole games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, leading the league right now in shots against and saves. Granted, you know, his series went seven. So, you know, he's going to mm -hmm. accumulate stuff there. Uh, counting stat. But it's impressive nonetheless, the, the the amount of saves that he's already had to make so far this postseason. And yeah, this is a guy that you look back at his postseason career, RJ, uh, certainly once he was the, a starter and the guy, you look at those three postseason runs that he had with the Colorado Avalanche, he was never the problem, like, <laughs> like at all. Uh, this is a guy who knows how to show up for the postseason. He knows how to show up when the games mean the most, and we really got our first taste of that. And now, I mean, one of the things that I did want to ask is, you know, you'd brought up like this is because he's playing against his former team. You know, he plays well at Ball Arena, all that kind of stuff. Like, does does this carry forward into a series against Dallas, but based on his postseason history, I got to believe it will. Yeah, I would think so. And Dallas was one of those teams where he kind of had the most up and down numbers this season and, and in his Kraken career. And I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Uh, you know, some of it bad luck, some of it, it bad play. Just I don't know. Wasn't sure how to gauge it, really. Yeah. Um, but playing this way, I, I've got to think it'll stay the same largely. Um, he's just he is playing well right now. He's on a roll. This is what goalies kind of do in the playoffs when you can get them in a rhythm. And it's not all that unusual for Grubauer in the playoffs. It seems like he's kind of able to settle into a series and play well. I mean, you look at the that last series with Colorado in his career that kind of was his undoing, I think, that mm -hmm. you know where they decided to go in a different direction against Vegas. And he was absolutely not the problem. He was the only reason that series went six. Like yeah. he stole them the first couple games. I mean, he looked so impressive there. Um, so it's just it's just not out of the ordinary to see this from him. And I think there's something about his mental makeup and his mindset that just fits really well for when everything is heightened uh, in a playoff environment.
Yeah, I'm I'm going back and I'm looking at that series, RJ, the game logs from it. Um, those first three games, 960 save percentage, 951 save percentage, 930 save percentage. Like, incredible what he was able to do there uh, to, to help out that team. And yeah, he only won two and, of like, those watching games. That, see if, yeah, and the effects of that series were part of why I went with, you know, Colorado was the whole paper tiger the year they won the cup just because I felt like, okay, you know, Grubauer's not there anymore. And you look at the team in front of him, like – they were not good enough to even be competitive in that Vegas series. Like, how are they going to, you know, do even better than that? Um, turns out it was a different abs team, you know, after they had added some guys and, and played better. But um, a lot of that, my biggest takeaway from that series was that Philip Grubauer just held a minute. Yeah. Um, all right, RJ, I think it's Dallas time. So All right, our, our opponent for round two, which just is never going to get old talking about the fact that the Kraken have a round two opponent. I think that that's totally awesome. Um, this Dallas Stars team, RJ, has been one that has been fascinating to watch from afar all season long second to Boston when it comes to goal differential this year, which is, you know, obviously Boston was like otherworldly, but that doesn't mean much come playoff time apparently. Um, but I mean, you, you, we talked about it. Jake Ottinger, one of the three guys better than Philip Grubauer this postseason so far. Uh, you look at the avalanche being like kind of a one line team. Well, now we're going up against a two-line team, right? They've got twice <laughs> as much that you got to worry about offensively. Um, but I still think that this is a team, RJ, this Dallas Stars team, just as you know, we, we start this off, where it's still one where they rely on their big-time forwards to get the job done, and then they rely on the goaltender to clean up any mess that they you know allow through. And that's not too dissimilar to what the Avalanche were. It's just that I think Dallas might be that but maybe a little better right and i think there's some similarities in kind of their their structure and how they uh stack up lines wise um you know the stars have i think kind of an underrated blue line um which, which is going to help them as well like but they've got the depth there like colorado does and if you look at forwards they have a first line that is as dominant as that mckinnon and ronson and put together i mean this is what they've kind of gone off of all season. Heck, that one line took them to the playoffs and took Calgary to seven last year with zero help, no help whatsoever. Um, and that is uh, Robertson, Hints, and then, well, Pavelski when he was healthy. And and now we'll talk about kind of the lines and how they seem to be lining up later. But Tyler Sagan filling in that spot really well for Joe Pavelski as well. It just hasn't slowed that line down. They're one of the most dominant lines in hockey. So, we're going to be familiar with that already with McKinnon and Ronson put together. That's kind of what you have to expect when those three are on the ice, but their second line and, and their depth scoring. And that's, uh, you know, from Jamie, Ben, Max Domi, um, Wyatt Johnston, really good rookie. I mean, we talked about him in the conversation with Maddie Beniers, you know, his, his mm -hmm. potential uh, Calder uh, nominees there. Um, they are a deeper team. And, and also guys like Radic Foxa, you know, what he's able to do defensively. Like yeah. really, really good defensive center. He's never going to, you know, put up that depth scoring, those great numbers, uh, but he can shut guys down and they, they just, they do have a deeper forward core. Yeah. This is a team kind of like similar to the Kraken, um, right? Where they can just roll out line after line and, and kind of attack you in waves. Dallas is able to do that to some extent as well. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how the Kraken D can can handle that uh, step up. I know you just had this big assignment with McKinnon and all those guys, but now, yeah, you got to you got to kind of handle that. But you also got to handle some some other guys on top of it. Uh, so it's going to be a good test for their blue line. Um, I think talk about hints leads the playoffs in point scoring. 
12, 12 points in those six games against the Minnesota Wild. Um, did you have any like one big takeaway from the Minnesota series, RJ, just to just to kind of give people an idea of the Dallas Stars? Because um, like for me, the biggest takeaway was the fact that Minnesota really came out there to be ultra physical, you know, see, you know, potentially even injure guys if possible. Uh, which we can talk about Pavelski in a little bit. Um, and Dallas was able to respond to that. They weren't able to respond to it all the time. It did give them problems at times. But the bottom line is Dallas was able to kind of find that grit themselves and, and hold off that ultra-physical approach of the of the Minnesota Wild and then also just outscore anything Minnesota was able to throw at them too. Because Minnesota has some skill guys as well. Uh, and it ultimately just didn't matter. Uh, Dallas was just able to to either kind of punch their way through or score their way through that series. And that's that's pretty scary when you can see a team do both of those things. Right. They're not going to be pushed around. I mean, they made that clear. The Wild tried early on. That was kind of their whole strategy going into the series. And the Stars pushed back. And, and they had pretty much the worst case scenario that could have happened in game one where you lose one of your best players in Joe Pavelski for the entire series, uh, you know, on a hit that everyone was frustrated about. But they pushed back. I mean, you look at Wild fans definitely complaining about uh, Ryan Suter and kind of cross checks in different areas. Uh, that's something we're going to look for in this series, potentially uh, where whether it's net front or, or just kind of behind the play uh, little things like that, where they're, they're not going to be pushed around. They're going to be on the offensive sometimes as well, uh, as far as plays like that. And I don't want to call it depth, but one thing that really stood out to me was I guess just like their layers next man up mentality type mm -hmm. of stuff with Pavelski going out and, and Tyler Sagan filling in seamlessly into that spot and everyone just kind of moving one spot up the lineup. Uh, they, they are a team with a lot of layers and you can even take out one player or two players or, you know, however much happens it, and they just have somebody who can fill that role. And that's just not something you could say about Colorado. Um, you know, with, with JT Comfort kind of getting pressed into, you know, bigger duty than maybe he uh, could handle. The stars aren't going to have anyone who's going to be overwhelmed by that spot. And if they do have someone like that, then, you know, if, if Max Domi is having a rough series, then Wyatt Johnson can step in and, and maybe mm -hmm. do some damage. Um, it, they just got these layers where um, you, you can't just count out any part of their lineup. No, you, you really can't. Uh, and that's that's a scary thing. We've mentioned his name several times now. Let's go ahead and talk about Joe Pavelski. Obviously suffered, you know, concussion game one of that series after that Matt Dumba hit um, came in. And he missed the rest of it. Uh, there was talk that maybe he was going to come back for that game six. He ultimately didn't. Uh, and they didn't need him. They were able to close it down in six. We'll get to maybe the effects of them getting an extra couple days of rest here in a second too. But... Joe Pavelski practicing today. And so first off, RJ, I mean, do you think we'll see him? I, we're going to see him at some point during this series. I don't know if we'll see him game one. I don't know your thoughts. If I, yeah, it's tough to get a read on it, but if I had to bet, I'd say we will see him in game one. Um, Joe Pavelski for, for better or worse, he doesn't like to miss games. He's going to try and come back as soon as he can. And I think game one of a brand new series, I think you'll feel like he's needed maybe more than a game six where you can't lose the series, but you can win it. Um, and it's tough. I'm, I am concerned about him. I do share that concern. I was in the building in 2019 when, when there was that infamous uh, incident where he was bleeding from the head and was clearly concussed there. I don't want him to rush back just, you know, for, for his own sake, but I think he seems like he's feeling better and he's not going to, play it 
you know, super safe like that. I think he's going to try and come back. I think we'll see him in game one and he's going to be a difference maker in this series. Um, whether the Kraken can shut him down or not, uh, that's going to play a big role, especially on the power play. Joe Pavelski, he's a special player. He is the best tipper of the puck in the NHL and has been for a long time, maybe in NHL history, I would argue. Um, and so he's just going to find those spots in the high slaughter net front where he can tip pucks past Philip Grubauer. And we talked about how well Grubauer is playing, how important that goaltending is. If you get a well-timed deflection from the high slaughter from net front, it doesn't matter who the goalie is. There's nothing they can do about that. So Joe Pavelski is going to play a big role there. Right. I mean, how many goals in this past series against the Avs were, were tips or bouncing off of Kraken players, uh, right? That got past Philip Grubauer. A, a healthy amount of the goals that Grubauer was able to allow um, were were based off of stuff like that. So definitely scary if, if Pavelski plays there. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned him on the power play. You just took down the sixth best power play in the NHL in Colorado, and you handled it fantastic. We didn't end up ultimately talking about the PK, but the PK was oh, incredible right. for the for the Seattle Kraken. The job that they were able to do to hold off that that Avalanche team, and really it made the difference in the series because that was that was how the Avalanche counted on scoring. They really did rely on their power play to score a lot during the regular season, and by taking that away, you were able to eke out some wins when you needed to, uh, and and I think that that's a big deal. It's going to be tougher against the Stars power play. They're fifth in the league, so one one spot better from the regular <laughs> season. But really, RJ, when I watch them, it's a totally different beast that you're going to have to try to approach from a PK standpoint. Colorado, it's just they're big guys. You kind of they have the same style of wanting to cycle the puck every play. Like just let's get it over to McKinnon on the half boards, and then he can either send it back up to McCarr, or he's going to send it cross ice over to Rantanen, or he'll just try to snipe it from where he's at. He'll walk it in and he'll try to snipe it. Dallas. It's all over the place, right? If they have a Pavelski, they'll try to get him tips. If they have uh, Jason Robertson on the one side, they'll try to get him to snipe it from there. Uh, they don't really rely on like one set, one-timer guy the way a lot of teams' power plays do. So you can kind of just try to take that one player out of it and, and throw a wrench in the works. This Dallas team, anybody, Miro Haskin in on the back end, like they just look around. They just all have their heads up and they just see who's open and they get that player the puck. And that's a lot harder to deal with when it's not like kind of one set design play they like to run. And so Jay Leach, he did a fantastic job with the PK last time. But that is something that I'm I'm going to you know really focus on in this one is it's going to be a lot tougher to repeat that against the Stars power play. Yeah, it's a tougher challenge when that predictability goes out the window. All five guys can hurt you on the Stars power play. And we've seen that over the course of this season. Stars did well on the power play against the yes. Kraken. Uh, because if you are not completely focused on every potential eventuality or pass that could be made, uh, they're going to burn you. It's a really tough assignment. Um, I'm confident that Jay Leach can you know, make the adjustments that need to be made. But it's a like you said, it's a totally different beast than the Colorado power play, especially if Joe Pavelski is back. Oh, yeah, especially if Pavelski's back. But I do want to credit um, Tyler Sagan stepping up in Joe Pavelski's absence, not just filling his, his spot on that first line, RJ, but also on the power play. Tipping pucks on the power play. It's like Tyler Sagan just became Joe Pavelski somehow. It's absolutely incredible. 
Yeah, after game one, they just told him, go out, do your best Joe Pavelski impression. And he's been doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, really impressive work from Tyler Sagan there. And it's something to watch out for. And I think now's a good time to mention that you look at the Stars practice lines today. And they've kept Sagan up on that first line, even with Pavelski kind of slotting back in into line rushes. They've got Pavelski on a second line with, uh, with Marchman and Domi. So they like Sagan enough in that spot. And it makes sense to me why they would do that. If Sagan's doing a, a good Joe Pavelski impression, just move Pavelski kind of down the lineup a little bit had him have him add depth somewhere there and maybe ease him in minutes wise as well yeah I really think if he does play game one we'll see Pavelski really as like a power play specialist and then he'll just get a handful of minutes at five on five ease him back in protect him a little bit I think that's what I would do I think it's the smart thing to do but yeah that's one of the questions that I had RJ is does Pavelski almost coming back maybe throw a wrench in the works for the Dallas Stars? Like, they had a good thing going without him. If all of a sudden you see a Sagan have to tumble because Pavelski comes back to the lineup, Pavelski's got to get ramped back up, especially coming off of a concussion. You never know how easy that's going to be for a guy. Um, I do think that that could sneakily turn into something that ends up in the Kraken's favor is just... Dallas has really good chemistry right now, but anytime you add somebody back, even if it is a difference maker, even if it's a really good player, it can affect the chemistry for a game or two. And when you're talking about a playoff series, a game or two can sometimes decide the whole thing. And I think that might be why they're looking at him on a, on a lower line instead of putting him back on the first line. You kind of want to leave as much as you can uh, unchanged there. But I mean, there's a possibility, especially someone who hasn't played in six games or you know, basically almost two weeks like Pavelski has. Um, I still think he's going to slot right in just fine because the type of player he is, how smart of a player he is, I, I just tend to think he can fit anywhere. I might be a little biased. I, I think very highly of him. Um, I don't think it'll mess him up that much. Yeah, and bottom line is he has also played with these guys for a while too. Like they all have chemistry as well. So that's, that's going to be something to look out for. Um, talking about that first line, whether it stays with Sagan, whether uh, Pavelski comes back, this is the line that Dallas is going to throw out there in the offensive zone. This is the line that they are going to protect a lot of the time. Very healthy offensive zone start numbers for that line, RJ. Looking with Tyler Sagan over 25% so far through the playoffs. So, you know, you know, we talked about the power play not being very predictable. Where they like to utilize these lines is very predictable from Pete Boer out here on this one. Uh, they do not start on the fly very often at all. This is a this is a line that starts in the offensive zone. Uh, you mentioned him earlier, the Radic Fosca line. That is their defensive go-to line. That is the line that is going to be starting out there to try to win those big-time draws while the Kraken gets uh, try to get something going in the offensive zone. Uh, interestingly, Fosca. Could, could be beatable in the faceoff dot, 44.1%. So that's good news for the Kraken because the Kraken aren't that great. <laughs> do you have all the faceoff numbers up right now for the Stars? I do, yes. I'm curious, what what's Glendening at? Uh, Luke Glendening, 66%. So that's scary. Okay, because on that line, I think he's the one who steps in to take the faceoffs, and he's kind of the faceoff specialist there because okay. I, I tend to think of him as one of the better faceoff players in the league. Yeah. So uh, he'll take care of that. He's also really good defensively. Luke Glendening, underrated player uh in the nhl and 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 fox of course one of the more underrated defensive players if you look at some of the the analytics people online that you know i post kind of their awards picks based on models fox is up there for uh for selkie 
like with his defensive play, I don't think he'll actually get many Selkie votes, but I mean, in the time that he's on the ice, really, really good defensively. And so that line, I mean, it, it's clear what they do. Just like yep. you said, they're the shutdown line. Um, you know, that top line for Dallas, they're the line that goes out and scores. They're an easy team to kind of get a read on and engage. And I think it's important that everyone kind of just knows how it all plays out yeah. before we head into this series. I think it'll make you a more informed viewer uh, as you see how the Kraken try and counter it. Right, exactly. And then that leads me, last time I'll talk about the lines for the, for Dallas and we can move on to something else, but um, the, the Jamie Benn line, RJ, this is a line that gave the Kraken fits in those regular season meetings. Uh, this is a line that gave a lot of teams fits throughout the regular season. It continued to do so for Minnesota, although in slightly different ways than before. Um, but Jamie Benn uh, out there with Wyatt Johnston, as we talked about earlier, a great young player, and uh, Dodonov, um this, this line is able to provide depth scoring. This is the line that scares me kind of for the Kraken because, you know, look, if you treat that top line kind of the way you just treated Colorado's top line, yeah, they're going to get theirs. They're that good. They're, that's just the way it is. But if you can largely hold them at bay a lot of the time, okay, go win those other matchups. That become, This then becomes that key matchup of can you win the matchup against this Jamie Benn line because, I mean, Jamie Benn, especially in the playoffs, we saw it in that Minnesota series. This dude is not out there to take any prisoners. He's going to come after you, and he's going to create space for his two skilled wingers to go out there and beat you on the score sheet. And it's going to be really interesting how the Kraken can deal with that. Yeah, Jamie Benn is a heck of a power forward. And we, we talked earlier about the lack of hits that the Kraken defensemen took. Generally, they laid out a lot more than they ended up taking. Jamie Benn's going to come in and finish his checks. And he's going to try and create space. He's got a couple talented line mates, like you said. Um, but he's going to be a real important factor in this series because he has skill too. He can yep. score and he can get to those dirty areas in front of the net. I know he scored a big goal with what, two seconds to go or so. The yeah. Kraken fans will remember this, this season at home to tie the game with the goalie pulled. Um, you know, he can get to those areas. He can find pucks. And you know, once upon a time, he was from point per game player. I mean, he was very, very good. He's still got some of that skill left. Um, but yeah, that second line, Dallas, like you said, it's a two-line team. Colorado was a one-line team. That second line is going to be something to deal with, and you're going to have either the Beniers line or, or maybe the Wenberg line have to deal with those guys and try and flip that script. Right, and that's what I think it's going to it's gonna have to come down to is, you know, we talked about how they approached stopping the Colorado uh, top line. Uh, we talked about the Yanni Gord line doing a fantastic job of that. Like, if I'm Dave Haxtell, RJ, and we can kind of put our coaching hats on for this, I, I probably I try the Yanni Gord line against that line, uh, the top line for the Dallas Stars. Go out there, try to slow down those guys. Uh, try yeah, to... I got you on board. Let's go. Yeah, you know, well, it's true, right? Again, Yanni Gord, the, this is what he's known for. Uh, so yep. you, you send him out there against that line. I think you take that underrated Alexander Wenberg line that, you know, again, is capable of shutting people down. It's just maybe not capable of then also producing offense against them. Uh, it's kind of that 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 secondary tier. I think you use them against the Jamie Benn line and then, you know, OK, it's time. Maddie line, you know, you're, you're supposed to be the top line. You guys have to score in this series. Uh, you know, who knows if, if Jared McCann is going to come back for them or if it's going to be Ty Cartier. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Not really able to get a read on it. But the bottom line is now is the time to show up. You guys are going to have to go out there and score because those other lines are going to have their hands full. And I think that that's probably the best way for the, the Kraken to play this one, at least in my opinion, RJ. No, that's kind of how I would line it up to start. And look, for the first two games, they're not going to have last change. 
yeah. Dallas is going to try and get the matchups they want. I think they're going to try and get the their top line away from the Yanni Gord line as much as possible. And I think Haxtell is going to have to send Gord over the bench on the fly a lot uh, when those guys come on for Dallas. But I think at home, those would be the matchups that I would look to create. And that's another reason where you have Joe Pavelski kind of joining that third line with Marchman and Domi. If that's the line that's matched up against Matty Benier's line, that's going to be tough to go against, yeah. right? And so I think that might be another reason the Stars will keep him there. Uh, I like what Peter DeBoer is doing with his lineup. I, I think he generally makes good lineup decisions. He's a good coach. Um, so we'll, we'll see if they stick with it, but it, it's going to be tough matchup-wise. Yeah, I mean, this is where the, you do get the benefit of knowing where they like to deploy certain lines, right? The fact that that top line is, if, you know, if they're having an offensive zone face-off and that line wasn't already out there, they're going out there. So if you're Dave Haxtall, you can try in certain situations to, to get a line matchup even on the road just because of how predictable uh, the, the, the deployment has been for the Dallas Stars. The other thing is it really killed you in this first series against the Avalanche, the face-offs. It really did. And this is going to be even worse. Uh, I'm looking at things, RJ. This is just five-on-five. Five. I'm not looking at special teams numbers included. This is just five-on-five face-offs for the playoffs so far. Uh, talk about the, the, the Fox line there. Luke Lendenning, 76.19% uh, on faceoffs. He went 16 and 5 on faceoffs. All right. Line mate Foxa went 50%, which had still outpaced just about anybody on the Kraken. Um, Jamie Ben, you ready for this, RJ? Jamie Ben, care to guess how he did on faceoffs against the Wild? About 55%. 63.46% at five on five. He went 33 and 19 on faceoffs. Okay, so the Seattle Kraken, this is going to be a challenge, right? Even even a hints leads the playoffs in scoring. Not not forgetting about his duties in the faceoff dots, 20 and 18, 52.63%. Again, that outpaces Gord, Wenberg, Maddie, all those centers for your team. Uh so the the Kraken. They, they've got their work cut out for them in the face-off dot all over again. I think this one might even be a little bit harder to deal with, especially when it comes to trying to win offensive zone face-offs for the Kraken. Going to have to really dig in deep against a Luke Glendening. Like, it is just so not going to be easy. You're going to have to find ways of trying to tie him up. I don't know what the answer is going to be there, but the Seattle Kraken... In the games that they won, the games that they had to win, they were able to find a way to win some face-offs, RJ. They might have to do that for every game in this one. I don't know that you're going to be able to get away with it, uh, even for you know some periods at a time uh, sometimes, just because yeah. this Dallas and, Stars team will eat you. And like Colorado, Dallas is going to be good, especially in the offensive zone. Coming up with plays off of those face-offs, you kind of know reliably you're going to win some of those clean. Uh, they can have set plays off the face-off and be very dangerous there too, especially if you got like a Pavelski going to the net for a tip when you know you're going to get a clean shot, things like that. I, I've seen the plays that DeBoer draws up off these offensive zone face-offs. So that, that hurt the Kraken earlier in the series with Colorado, but they scored a lot of goals off those offensive zone face-offs. I think this could be another theme that, that carries over to this series if the Kraken aren't careful. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, let's look at this blue line for the Dallas Stars, RJ. Um, again, it's it's sort of similar to the to the forward lines. You can kind of predict where you're going to see some of these pairings for the for the mm -hmm. Dallas Stars. Uh, you know, in the offensive zone, uh, offensive zone faceoffs, Miro Haskinen, Colin Miller are going to be out there. If Colin Miller is going to be part of that, I know he only played three games. Um, 
but like you, you know that that's going out there and then defensive zone i mean they've got a lot of guys that they really like to trust in the defensive zone um with with this um i'm trying to get which exactly is the pairings here is it because uh, from practice today it was yeah. Suter haskinen okay uh lundell hockenpah and then harley miller interesting okay uh doesn't look like they played that much together in the previous one. Um, so that's interesting there. Uh, but yeah, you got to worry about, about, you know, two physical defenders, only two this time, which is kind of nice. Hockenpah by far and away leads this team, uh, this blue line in hits. Ryan Suter, you mentioned earlier with the cross checks and stuff, he's going to be physical as well. Um, but outside of that, you don't have to worry about an overly physical blue line. This is a blue line that wants to just keep the play in front of them and just kind of, you know, use their sticks to disrupt what you want to do. They're going to stand in your passing lanes. They're really good at dissecting what you want to do. They like to study their film. Uh, and they're just going to make life hard on you just from a playmaking standpoint. It's not going to be because yeah. they're going to push you around. They're just going to keep you from being able to make the plays you want to play. And that's frustrating. It is. And they're going to move the puck well. Miro Haskin and I think still somehow underrated. Yeah. Uh, you know, after the Dallas's Cup final run in 2020, I think he finally got some of the respect he deserved, but now under the radar a little bit more. But he's a great defenseman. He's got the size, uh, but he can also move the puck really well. And he's he's clearly their best defenseman. Um, Anton Lundell, really, you know, quietly good puck mover. Um, you know, he, he puts up, uh, I'm not sorry, not Anton Lundell, um, Essa Lindell. Thank you. Um, Essa Lindell quietly, you know, good puck mover. I mean, he's just solid on the blue line, played all 82 games this year. Um, just kind of slots into that spot always for that. It feels like he's just been a fixture on the stars blue line forever. Um, and then yeah, Suter and Hockenpah, they're going to bring the violent element to it. <laughs> we saw the Suter cross checks last series, Yanni Hockenpah. I mean, he's one of those defensemen that's built for the playoffs. I kind of talked about Will Borgen and the way he plays and what he brings, Hockenpah has a lot of that physical element kind of behind the play that you're going to see. Um, so he might be a thorn in cracking forward sides uh, through this series. And Dylan, I know you're a big fan of Colin Miller. Um, you know, you, you thought he was going to be the key to fixing the Kraken blue line uh, this season. It was Justin Schultz instead, but that's okay. I, I know you said, well, that's, that's fine too. It kind of fits the general blueprint, um, but I know he's your boy. Yeah. Colin Miller is definitely my boy. He's, I mean, he's going to, I don't know. He's been protected this year. I'll go ahead and I'll admit it. Uh, his numbers may be a little inflated because of how protected he's been. But the bottom line is he does find ways of, of getting the job done for, for teams out there. I do think he's highly underrated. Um, to go back to, to Hockenpah, talk about Harley. These are the guys that if the Kraken can frustrate someone, you can frustrate them into penalties. I talked about this with Josh Manson in the last series going into that series. And at the beginning of the of the series, we were. We got Josh Manson taking a penalty a game, giving the Kraken a power play, a penalty, you know, a, a opportunity a game. Uh, this time around, it's going to be Harley. It's going to be Hawk and Paw, especially Hawk and Paw. If you, if you really try to challenge him physically, he's going to accept that challenge. And then if you're able to get one over on him, he's just going to go crazy. And so I think if, if you know, there's anybody willing to do that for the crack in the Kraken forward group, just kind of really go out there and challenge him and, and give him a once over, um, you can kind of take him 
out of this game because you're going to frustrate him and you're going to you're going to get him off of his game and I think that's a very much to the benefit of the Seattle Kraken because the bottom line is in addition to being like a, a guy who hits a bunch he leads this blue line in hits by a ton um, he's also just good at defending he's good at standing at passing lanes he's good at being disruptive all of that stuff so if you can get him to maybe draw some penalties go to the box get frustrated I think that'll be one of the keys to stopping this blue line in the defensive zone uh, for the Dallas Stars there um, but otherwise I mean yeah just get ready to watch Miro Haskin and maybe do what we expected Kale McCarr to do which is just mm -hmm. collect the, you know, steal the puck in the defensive zone and then skate it all the way up and, you know, help create a chance for Dallas. It's going to be frustrating and it's going to happen. And as long as the, the, the Kraken are able to kind of minimize how often it happens should be okay, but just get ready everybody. Cause it's, it's going to happen and you're just going to be pulling your hair out. Yep. And uh, Ellie Tolvanen knows them well. They're really good friends. They even started a Finnish commercial together uh, where Tolvanen got the better of Haskin in there. So I think that's going to be interesting to uh, watch the two of them go head to head. Definitely. Um, Jake Ottinger, RJ. Maybe have we scared this? Have we saved the scariest thing for last with the Dallas Stars, RJ? Potentially. I mean, if there's any one player on the Stars that just plays up to the peak of his potential, Ottinger would be the scariest because he can steal a series on his own, even if the team in front of him falters. If he's at the top of his game, it doesn't matter what the Kraken do this series. I hate to say it, but that's kind of the reality of it. Yeah, it's it's really, really frightening what he's able to do. Um, we saw it last year in the playoffs. It was kind of a coming out party for him. Uh, it, that series against the Calgary Flames, 954 save percentage. Ugh. right like <laughs> through seven games through seven games absolutely ridiculous this year coming back down to earth slightly uh with a 929 save percentage you mentioned the the goal saved above expected number is 4.3 in the six games for him second only to igor shesterkin i mean jake ottinger is going to be a tough nut to crack rj for the crack and i i don't even know like how you even go about attacking him right i mean they managed to do it during the regular season you know once or twice there, there was that one game that they had where he kind of looked off and i remember daniel sprong's goal that that beat him five hole that just like oh man that's that's not the ottinger that we know um you know in that that five four overtime win i think you just kind of have to rely on him not being on his game as as much as he's just he's so quiet in his crease and efficient with his movements he doesn't move any more than he absolutely needs to and that's one of the things that really struck me when i got to watch him at climate pledge arena um is that there, there's no excess movement in his game whatsoever and so it's hard to find him kind of getting off his angle he's going to be on his angle you just have to surprise him uh with a shot and kind of be deceptive in your release and i that sprong goal keeps coming back to me because you look at sprong he's on a two-on-one and he's looking past the entire way like he doesn't even look at the net whatsoever. And he sends this really hard shot along the ice and beats Ottinger five hole. So you're going to have to be deceptive. You're going to have to get traffic to the front of the net. That's really the number one way to beat him is you're going to have to get traffic to the net front. You're going to have to simplify plays, throw in shots from the point and get there for rebounds. Those are the kind of plays that just take a goalie out of the game. You're going to have to take his eyes away. Um, I, I, there's no other real way to beat him clean. I know it's it's going to be a really really tough assignment for the Kraken. Um, he's you know you talk about the how great he is with the movement and everything, and then on top of that, dude's six five, like he just takes up the net anyway. And so then when he's able to play the angles really well, when he's able to always be square to a shooter, it just makes it that much worse uh, from from you know the Kraken standpoint looking at this situation just because there's 
there's really nowhere you can go against him. Like there's just no, there's no, there's not going to be any open spot to pick and choose from. Uh, so I do think that, yes, I think, you know, Philip Grubauer, we talked about him, did such a great job tracking things laterally. He's always very aware of where everybody is on the ice. I do think that that's where you can potentially try to get to Ottinger is try to confuse him with what you're doing. Don't give him the same look two times. Really just try to keep it different, especially if you ever get any sort of odd man rush opportunity. Really try to take advantage of those. Try to keep him guessing um, because that's that I think is the best way of doing it. And then also get into his crease. And this is something going back to the Calgary series last year. I think it's something that Minnesota was able to do at times in this one. Uh, we just talked about their blue line, RJ. We talked about it earlier this season when they played Dallas. The blue line doesn't do well if the play gets behind them. It's not They're not built for that. They're not good in scramble mode. And I think Ottinger kind of takes on some of that too. Where When it comes into scramble mode, sometimes for those bigger goalies, it's a little bit harder to do that stuff, especially if you're a calm goalie. You want to try to stay square. All of a sudden, all that's been taken away from you. Now it's just a mad dash in the crease. Everybody's pushing and shoving. I think that might be the Kraken's best answer, at least early in the series, is just try to throw off Ottinger a little bit by just kind of sending bodies there in front of him. Just try to make him uncomfortable. Get his mind thinking about other things so that he's not 100% sharply focused on the shooter each and every time. Um, I think that's probably the advice that I would give my guys if I was um, if I was one of the coaches for the Kraken. I think that's good advice. I mean, if, really for any goalie too, just kind of getting in their crease, getting up in their face. And um, I think of another goal. Was it Matty Beniers who kind of whacked it home on the second attempt for Ottinger? Yeah. It, it was a broken play. Everything was you know up yep. in the air and whatever. And Ottinger just wasn't able to cover the bottom of the net. And um, you know he can kind of lose track of the puck sometimes, like any goalie can. But yeah. That's how you take the best goalies off of their game. Yeah, and so we didn't totally see that from the Kraken in this one, in this past series. I think that that's one of the things the Kraken could do better is get more screens involved, get you know more rebounds going uh, in the crease, get in there. Um, I think that that's something that's going to be a little bit more key for them in this one. It's going to be tough. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, like, oh, if you just do this, everything will work out. But I think that that's going to be their best path forward. RJ, should we pick some X factors for this one? Let's do it. Let's pick some X factors. All right. Should we go? Let's go Dallas first. Um, yeah, we've been talking about them. Let's go Dallas. Yeah, it would be cheating. It feels like to say Jake Ottinger, but really it's Jake Ottinger. So we'll just establish that, and then maybe I feel forward. I feel like the goalie. Yeah, it's always cheating to pick the goalie. I yeah. mean, here, Dylan. I'll let you know. My pick might might feel like a more obvious pick too. Like it okay. might feel like cheating a little bit. So you you can go with somebody who's a little higher profile if you want. All right. I still, I think the person I'm going to go with is Gandhi Donov. Okay. I like that pick because if, if Dallas is going to do anything in this one, they're going to need to rely on a little bit of that depth. I think, you know, the Kraken, they've proven they can, they can withhold the beating of a top line of a good top line. Uh, and, and really, if you look at why Dallas was able to get past Minnesota, kind of sim, you know, doing some similar things at times, it was because of that Jamie Ben line. And I really thought that he had a really good series. He was really nasty, just f disappearing behind defenses only to reappear just right at the side of the goaltender, knocking something home. Uh, he looked really dangerous to me. Wyatt Johnson, obviously is a young guy. He's still learning the ropes in the postseason, but, uh, uh, Evgeny Donov really looked good to me in this one, and and I think if the crack if the if the Kraken struggle, it'll be because of that second line of the Dallas Stars, and I think he'll be the guy putting up the goals for him. Okay, so call me biased, but I'm going to go with Joe Pavelski biased. as the X factor. I, yeah, there you go. Old school so I, Homer. 
<laughs> yes, I mean, call me a homer from from my Sharks days, but I, I really do believe that Joe Pavelski uh, matches up so well against the Kraken, and there's a reason that he's scored so much against them in the past when those two teams have played each other. He is the type of player that I think is is a nightmare for the Kraken, especially for their blue line when they're not playing as well as they possibly can. You look at when when the Kraken defense isn't on top of their game and you look at kind of uncharacteristic turnovers and D-zone coverage mistakes. And Joe Pavelski, one of the smartest players in the NHL, I mean, he is built to take advantage of that. And he's a really good finisher too. So if you lose track of him at all in the defensive zone, he's going to burn you. I mean, heck, even if you know where he is, sometimes he can still burn you if you're not right up on him and and kind of bodying him up and taking him out of the play. And so I think especially on the power play, because he's going to be that X factor where it's going to lead to much more of a challenge on the penalty Mm -hmm. kill where you didn't have to face that with Colorado. Cause not only can he tip pucks net front, but he likes to move around the formation. You notice that goal he scored to, to tie the game late, um, you know, for Dallas and in one of those other games where they tied it late six on five, he had snuck out to a a pretty bad angle on that left side and just waited for that puck to pop out to him. And he was able to bury it from there. He can kind of go anywhere in the offensive zone. Um, And so I think just, he's the player that, the way that he is built can be the most dangerous against the Kraken, just given the way that they play. And if Joe Pavelski has a really big series, I think you're talking point per game or better uh, is, is what his upside is here. And the other reason I think he's the X factor too, is you look at the way that they're lined up right now, as far as their practice lines, Mm -hmm. if Tyler Sagan can fill in on the first line, like he has been all of a sudden Joe Pavelski joining that line with Domi and Marchment, Dallas could be a three line team instead of a two line team. And that's a lot more dangerous if he can step up and kind of fill that spot. So um, I think he's going to be maybe moved around the lineup a little bit as Pete DeBoer sees fit, as DeBoer wants to use him. Um, and that's going to be really dangerous. It's going to be really, really dangerous. It's a really scary proposition. And yeah, you bring up the six on five. One of my things with Dallas, can we just like, can the Kraken win without ever having a lead late? Because like they just kill us every time we play them when they go empty net. Or if you're Pete DeBoer, RJ, do you just start games off with the empty net? Just try to build out a lead early on. <laughs> Be a bold strategy, but who knows? It might pay off for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's six on five. It's scary. You know they can put on a push late whenever they're close, whenever they're within yeah. range at all. I think for the Kraken, you either got to blow them out or you got to just uh, keep it tied very late and then just win it overtime. That would require a lot of overtime wins, I think, if you're going to avoid the six on five but still win games. Uh, but they have been practicing it since. Haxtell and the coaching staff, they recognize when things are a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and after those two Dallas games where they tied it late, they practice six on five a lot in the, co- in the days right afterwards. So I think they're going to devote some time to it, but still scares me. Yeah. Uh, looking at the Kraken for an X factor, as much as I want to say Alexander Wenberg, RJ, it's Matty Beneers. Uh, if the Kraken are going to win this, I talked about it earlier, you know, Yanni Gord line is going to take one of those two big lines. The Wenberg line is going to take one of those two big lines for the Dallas Stars. Puts it on Matty Beneers' shoulders to kind of lead that, you know, pseudo first line for the Seattle Kraken. They're going to need to go out there and they're going to need to score. He's going to need to win face-offs in this series. I think a lot of this is going to come down to Matty Beneers and what he's able to do against this talented Stars group. I think, you know, the power play for the Stars is going to is going to score. It, just bottom line, I don't think you're going to be able to repeat what you did against the Avalanche um, 100%, you know, uh, on the PK 
Uh, so I think a lot of it's going to come down to five-on-five five scoring. The Kraken are going to have to get the job done there. And I think a lot of that's going to need to come from the Matty Beneers line. And look, Matty Beneers started to look more and more confident and comfortable in the postseason as that past series went on. I'd love to see him continue that forward into this one and, and score some goals, get some points, get ebbs going. If McCann comes back, let's get McCann going. But a lot of it's going to come down to Matty Beneers, who quietly fourth most ice time for forwards on the Kraken in this one. Like he is being put out there and being asked to do some big, tough jobs. I think now's the time to really step up and show that he belongs there. Yeah. Dave Haxtell's kind of trusted him from day one with a lot of that ice time well beyond what you'd normally give a 20 year old. Yep. Um, and I think we're going to see the next progression of that in this series for my X factor. I'm going to go with Vince Dunn. And uh, I think the Kraken just they're not going to be able to get by in this series if Vince Dunn kind of played the way that he did in the first round. Uh, but I, I think he can have a good bounce back series and they're going to need that scoring from him. They're also going to need him to be on in the defensive zone. I talked about Joe Pavelski as an X factor for the stars. A lot of that is kind of keeping track of where he is defensively in the zone. Adam Larson, very good at that. He's going to be great, but he's not always going to be on that same side. He's going to have other guys to deal with. You know, Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson, Vince Dunn is going to need to probably find and track Pavelski at different times or the other stars talented forwards mm -hmm. um, and, and be better at that. He's also going to have to limit the D zone turnovers because this stars team, they can finish. That's what scares yeah. me the most is teams that when you make a mistake that can put that in the back of your net and oh boy, can the stars do that? Um, so I think Vince Dunn is, is going to need to be better at that. And also though, on, on the plus side though, I think he can be really threatening to the stars and Jake Ottinger, if he's willing to throw pucks in from the point and play confidently, like he has this season, often shots from the point, like you'll see from Vince Dunn, those are the ones that take the goalie out of the play. When you have guys screening in front that take away their eyes or throwing pucks into those high danger areas to generate those rebounds. Didn't see enough of that from Vince Dunn in the first round. I think we're going to see more in the second round. So I think he's going to bounce back there and then also moving the puck out of his own zone for breakouts like that's the thing that can neutralize that star's top line and it's going to be really hard for for the Yanni Gord line or whoever's against them to just shut them down consistently once they get set up in the offensive zone you're going to need to break that puck out before they can get the forecheck going before they can start to look dangerous there and I think Vince Dunn I mean if anybody on the Kraken's going to do that and do that effectively it's him yeah no I like that pick a lot I would love to see him do all of those things for sure before we sign off, RJ, should we predict the series? Do we have to? We've done it before. Do we have to? We've done it before. I know it's tough. Um, I look. Let's let's just go ahead and do it. Um, I think we're both probably gonna pick Dallas, but that's fine. I love when this team proves us wrong. I really do. I, it just it. I love it, uh, and I love when people can come back and see. Ah, you didn't believe, but look, and I I love all that good stuff. So. Um, but here's the thing. I do believe in this Kraken squad. Uh, I, I believe that they can get a lot of stuff going just because of the depth that they have. The fact that on any given night, they can find two or three guys that are going to step up. And if Philip Rubier is going to keep playing like this, they have a chance. So if I have to, I'm going to say Dallas and seven. All right. All right. Dallas and seven for you. I'm, I'm going to stick with what worked against Colorado. I guess I'll go stars and six. Um, you know, just because I, I still worry about, you know, kind of the home woes or whatever. And I, I could see that game six at home if, you know, if it, the series is on the line there, you know, maybe it doesn't go the best. But I, I think the Kraken absolutely can win this series. Mm -hmm. But um, the Stars, they're, they're just such a good team. I, I think they're, they're favorites going in. But hey, 
Kraken like that position as the underdogs. Let's keep them there. Yep, no pressure on them at all. This is, I mean, this is what's what's the next level up from House Money, RJ? Because that's what the Kraken got now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's again, it's all gravy from it, this point it out. Is. It's all gravy. They're playing with House Money. They have been from day one, and they're just keep going. Absolutely. So cannot wait for it. it's going to be a fantastic series starts tomorrow RJ like this is the thing that's always fascinating about the playoffs for me it's like you barely get any time to celebrate the previous series win because you're just right into the next one it's absolutely wild what these guys are able to do it's going to be a lot of fun though can't wait to have a bunch more post-game lives uh, with everybody really looking forward to that I'm sure you're looking forward to getting over to Queen Anne Beer Hall as well mm-hmm. so we shout them out one more time for the pod uh, thanks everybody for joining us for this one and we will see you all next time hey everyone before we go we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey especially our terror of the deep patrons absurdly sane alex andrew anonymous ben burnt creme kaylin chris cody connor coop daryl dj singletone duthin eli elizabeth evan Bach, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 